Where's your favorite place to take college game day? And I say every time, Eugene, Oregon. Welcome, Ducks fans. Where and whenever you are watching or listening, this is the Once a Duck podcast, where we bring you up to date with current and former University of Oregon athletes and give you never-before-heard stories about your favorite teams and moments in Duck history. I'm your host, Nick Cody, former Oregon offensive lineman. With me, as always, my co-host, Samuel Tidrick-Schmidt. And thank you to all of those that showed up to game day and gave us a shout-out. We were there and Speaking of, you know, our favorite moments in Duck history, let's talk about that game day first with our lightning yellow round. Before we get to that, Sam, oh my goodness, if you could summarize this weekend in one word, what would that word be? Is a lot one word or is that two words? Because my goodness, it was a lot. It was a fun a lot. It was the best kind of a lot. But my goodness, from... The lightning yellow round that we're about to get into about game day to that entire ball game to driving back down to California afterwards. It was a lot, but it was a whole lot of fun. Well, you know me of all people will never be the academic police. But before we get into our lightning yellow round, I just want to give a big shout out and thank you to Kenny Farr and uh, everybody on the Oregon athletic staff who made game day amazing especially for my family, my mom. We'll get into the jersey a little bit later, but uh, obviously that's uh, that's something we're going to have to discuss. But thank you very much, Kenny Farr, first and foremost. Take care of uh, former Oregon athletes, including our guest last week, Jordan Scott. If you haven't checked that episode out, please go back and check it out. Make sure you like and subscribe and let us know down in the comments who you want to see next. But man, Sam, we have so much to talk about, specifically about our experience at college game day. So I'm going to let you start it off. I'm starting the clock at two minutes. Let's go. Well, you know, Nick, I got to start with the fact that I got there probably way too early. Showed up, I think, around 3.15, 3.30 a.m. It was a heck of a time to be there. And at first I was sitting there amongst the students, but uh, once one student started to, well, vomit everywhere, I realized that this was no longer a place that I wanted to hang out too much and that I was more than willing to go move over with you to the beautiful side of the stage that we found. Well, I feel a lot uh, better about waking up at about the time uh, that you had texted me and sent a picture from your location. I was going, oh, damn. But uh, yeah, got there a little late, slept, uh, and we were planning to try and get over there, you know, around four o'clock. But I have to tell you, I tried to go with the toga, and uh, just that in itself was a battle. It put up more of a fight than UCLA on the football field, but I got it on. Well, you know what, Nick? I think that uh, sitting from the side of the stage like we did, able to watch the entire show, it was so fun, especially when, while standing right next to the feature story stage, we were able to see everybody come over, whether it was Kurt Herbstreit, whether it was Pat McAfee, whether it was Coach Dan Lanning coming by, fist bumping both of us before breaking down the defense. It was a fun spot to be in and a great place to watch the nation's pregame show. 
No idea if he recognized me with the silly duck costume on. I didn't have the bull rings on, but did get that first fist bump after what was an excellent interview. We got to sit there right in front of it. Another favorite part of our, our location right there is when they were doing that silly random question section, which obviously, you know, scripted, but still executed very poorly. We got a couple great chants going, especially for uh, that one that was uh, a coach that should be on the hot seat. We won't mention any names. Well, you know, Nick, I would be remiss not to mention what is everybody's favorite part of game day. It is when Lee Corso comes out, sits up on stage, picks games with everybody. Obviously, the GOAT, Sabrina Ionescu, she joined the team as well. But when Coach Corso put on that duck head, the entire quad roared. And that was a heck of a roar to be a part of. Yep, that's a great way to end it, man. Uh, overflow from our, our lightning yellow round is just man. Also, what a touching moment in general. Uh, it, you know, the you could really hear uh, uh, Corso was on his best performance of the season. You could tell he really brought it and uh, his love not only for the, our Oregon Duck, but the duck they had on stage. Man, he was he, he was holding on to that thing tight. Uh, I re watched the replay again, and uh, everybody's look of concern for that duck was uh was wild except for Corso. He he was loving that thing. Uh also Sabrina getting uh shout started uh gonna be one of the highlights of uh, my memory and you know my first college game day experience. So uh you know I got to go and experience I guess the aftermath of college game day as we talked about last week uh with the 2007 Kyle game but my first real experience there Sam and I was so glad I got to experience it with you. Uh Mike got to see Ryan Winters uh you know sports chat five three for those of you out there that follow us both but uh man just an incredible day got to see a ton of great ducks out there and i can't say thank you enough to every one of you that gave once a duck a shout out including saw a couple former guests there didn't we we saw a couple of former guests and it was a it was a pleasure to be able to see them we ran into both brady breeze and bryson young there at the game day set so much fun we posted those pictures we'll probably post them again at some point it was a pleasure to see those two at game day and then as the day progressed, Nick, it, it really just stayed at that level. It was so much fun throughout, whether it was tailgating, whether it was the ball game, just so much fun. Well, and you know, it, what didn't stay consistent was the rain. We were laughing at one point over there for the feature uh, stage where there was water piling up in, in one of the tents and they had to kept, <laughs> keep, keep trying to push it out of there and... Uh, Man, just getting to watch all the behind the scenes from the angle we were at was really, really special. But that that just continued on to the day, getting to be out there for, uh, you know, what was, a, you know, a breast cancer awareness, having a bunch of people on the field that overcome or were fighting breast cancer, uh, adding a little bit extra significance to what was already a really, really special and important day for a lot of Ducks fans. And man, the Ducks delivered on the field. Uh, you know, the, the final score of that game being 45-30, which we are both extremely close to in our predictions like you thought one of us was gonna get it but man instead we'd both just be that close uh pretty amazing day but even then that scoreboard doesn't indicate what it really felt like going into that third quarter or that fourth quarter i guess out of the third quarter with a 38 16 lead and one of the best shouts i can ever remember that it was almost like everybody got all their vocal warm-ups uh out that game day morning so everybody was hitting the right notes at the right time uh as we got into the fourth quarter and that, that was one of the most memorable shouts of all time well you know one of the best traditions in college football remained just that this weekend it was so fun to be a part of shout so far to be a part of the fourth highest capacity crowd 
in Autzen Stadium history. It was so much fun to see that. So much fun to be a part of that action. Shout out to our guy T-Rod. His tailgate beforehand definitely had both of us feeling right. It was such a good time. It was so enjoyable to be there, be around all the Duck fans, see so many people that we both know so well. A really great day, a really great experience. Always so much fun to check out those ball games. And my goodness, Nick, what a ball game it was. Yeah, I mean, first thing I got to talk about is everybody's put the headline out there, that idea that Dan Lanning has outchipped Chip. But to be honest with you, we saw something entirely different in this game. We saw, uh, you know, two offenses, honestly, that were very, very difficult to stop. But our defense kind of epitomized bend but don't break by limiting them to field goals. And even though we didn't have them punt, we only had to punt once ourselves. And ultimately in that game, uh, the real I think big plays that everybody's going to talk about are going to be the onside kick and then the entire drive in the third quarter that just wore the, the, the entire UCLA defense down eight up clock did things that this Oregon team really hadn't done under chip Kelly. I think the closest I could remember a game being like that was I think that Stanford game in 2010 where another onside kick from former guest Rob Beard helped really turn the tides in that game. But this felt like an entirely different energy. Well, Nick, I texted you this after the ball game, and I think that it stands so true. Despite the fact that Oregon was taking on the number nine team in the country, at the time ranked higher than they were, there was really never much of a doubt. It didn't feel very uncomfortable at any point. Usually I am the stress case in Austin every single week when I'm there. It, I, I'm not somebody who goes into games feeling all that comfortable all that often. But man, there was really not a ton of stress from this one. For even Oregon goes out opening drive, kicks a field goal. Felt great. It's that kind of game. Get your points. Second drive from UCLA, they go down, they score a field goal. But here was the thing that stuck out to me. Oregon got their drive done in about four and a half minutes. Not super unusual for how this team likes to play. Moving down the field, getting a couple of chunk plays, but also working it when they needed to. UCLA, though, they required six minutes and 27 seconds to move the ball 48 yards. That did not feel like a Chip Kelly offense, at least one that was very comfortable by any means. We often talk about the historic drive at Cal 2010. We'll probably talk about it in the second half of our show today when we get into that matchup and some other historic matchups against Cal. But beyond that, when was the last time a Chip Kelly offense was super comfortable taking up that much time to just get that? And once they kicked that field goal, once Oregon's offense, defense, excuse me, they did bend, but they didn't break at all. They really did stand up right there. There was another moment of, oh, okay, this, this doesn't feel too uncomfortable yet then immediately an Oregon drive that ends with a touchdown the first play of the second quarter felt so great to sing come home coming home Oregon immediately followed up by a beautiful play design to get Terrence Ferguson his fifth touchdown catch of the season from then on despite the fact that UCLA tied it up at 10 Oregon a touchdown the onside kick we mentioned that we can get into right now but following that up with another touchdown then one more before halftime the Ducks really never let it be in question that much. Well, and, and before we talk about that, you got to give Camden Lewis his flowers again. Normally, he's usually our special teams to be special player of the week. But, uh, you know, that 44-yarder has to step aside this week for Andrew Boyle's onside kick. What I love most about this is uh, Dan Landing talking about it 
uh, with the media and how uh, he expressed that he was glad that nobody that he had allowed him to see them working on that in practice had leaked it. And uh, it's, it's a pretty funny line there that, that takes me back of some of the things Chip would say, but I don't think he would ever allow that level of access. Um, and even then, it was uh, great to hear their process of how they had seen on the first two kickoffs that they were lined up, just how they had prepared. And even then, when they went out there to run it, it was the worst of the three looks that they had seen. But you know what? The kicker just went out there and executed. Uh, I think it was Hill or somebody, whoever was the L1 out there, I believe is, is what they'll call that position, went out and just waited for the ball to cross 10 laid out a block and, and it was just so well executed and you could see as ucla standing there in oregon celebrating they were starting to get a little chippy and that was uh a lot of the last of the fight we saw because that just took the wind out of their sails and Autzen stadium started to roar and roar and roar well i think it came at the absolute perfect time nick because immediately before that we had seen the 57 yard pass from bo nicks to Troy Franklin, the pass that I think the onside kick afterwards almost makes it so that we won't talk about it the way we should, but that was probably the best pass I've seen from Bo Nix all season. An absolute beautiful ball. The minute he put it up, everybody in the stadium, whoa, oh, just perfectly thrown, perfect route by Franklin. A beautiful play design that the crosser dragged the safety down, so Franklin really did have the one-on-one the entire way there. Such beautiful work from Dillingham, such great work from both the quarterback and the receiver on the play. Great protection. Terrific protection. But what I loved was that this had come after a number of handoffs and read options that had been slowly bringing the UCLA defense closer and closer to the line. Just before this play, a perfect read option by Bo Nix that led to a first down run. Then to run the play action out of that, such great timing. Nobody was ready. As I said, the safety was sucked down by the crossing route. Wide open touchdown. Beautiful, beautiful play. Troy Franklin, all he could do was run under it, put his hands out, fell right perfectly to him. But on to the onside kick. My goodness. One thing that I loved seeing upon watching the replay this afternoon was that they had actually asked Dan Lanning coming out of halftime about that decision to have the onside kick. And Yes, it was something they had practiced all week. Yes, it was something that they wanted to execute at some point. But I loved that he said the weather played a role into it. They could see the clouds coming. They could see that it was about to get wet. And they wanted to be able to grab some more points and be able to do a little bit more on offense while conditions were still ideal to do so. And the timing worked out perfectly because after the boil onside kick, the terrific block, Waiting just the 10 yards, like you said, Jamal Hill did just enough to get his body in the way. Boyle with the perfect timing to jump on it. Once it had gone 10.0001 yards, he was able to land on it. Oregon just about broke UCLA's back, making it a 24 to 10 score. A a point total UCLA wasn't able to overcome until a garbage time touchdown late. Finishing it off with a Jordan James touchdown after a pretty funky formation that Oregon moved out of, but we'll love to see what that leads to later in the season. Really a perfectly timed play that, granted, if it doesn't go well, UCLA gets a quick score. Maybe with 2020 hindsight, we're all judging it a little bit differently. But in the reality we're in, in this timeline, an absolutely perfectly executed special teams play. Special teams, as always, were so special. 
Yeah, so special. And <laughs> what you have to mention with being special, again, is Bo Nix, another five-touchdown day. And, uh, yeah, Franklin, a big, big part of that, two touchdowns, uh, 132 yards at eight catches, averaging 16.5 yards a catch, man. Uh, that's that's tough to stop and uh, up there with the best receivers, not only in Pac-12, but, you know, especially per pass play, definitely in the nation. But that's something we'll talk about, when we, especially as we, uh, you know, preview Cal Week. But, man, we talked about it in our podcast Look good, feel good, play good. And damn, did the Ducks look good. Now, especially seeing the uniform right there at college game day when it was pitch black outside, still would have loved to see that in the nighttime. Maybe if you're going to give those one more run next year, man, do it for a night game. Please, fingers crossed. But, man, as you can see, jersey over here, Sam, what did you think about it in person? I know you were rocking yours in game day and at the game. How did you think they looked on uh, not only on the field in Austin, but on TV later in highlights? I thought they looked really, really, really strong. And honestly, as the weather progressed, once the overcast came in and it got a little darker and gloomier, oh, they just popped beautifully. It was such a fantastic look. Everything looked great about it from the helmet, the jersey, the volt on the shoulders, the pink on the numbers, the black pants, and even... As Jordan mentioned last week on the podcast, the bottom of the cleats being pink, such a small detail, but such a great detail, especially watching those players run down the field. The one that sticks out to me specifically is the Bucky Irving touchdown catch in the second half. When he's blazing down that sideline, you can just see the pink bottoms kicking up, and man, it is such a great look. I think it was DeAnthony Thomas on Twitter this week that said, no lie, that might be the best look ever. I'm not sure I'm quite willing to go that far, but if I'm looking at my season rankings thus far of uniforms, easily top three, most likely top two, arguably the best. And I got to tell you, having gotten my hands on it, the quality even compared to the things I wore back in my day is, is superb. The level of detail they put into this, down to the ventilation on the numbers, and that being identical to the uh, the gridiron template and, and all going the same direction as our Ducks were on Saturday. I, I couldn't be happier with it, and uh, I know me and my family are very, very, very thankful and happy to have this, and also very happy to see Jordan Scott not only got his, but got his on, because thank God this doesn't fit me, because I'd be walking all around downtown Seattle almost every day with this thing on. <laughs> Well, you know, even just like the detail, the ventilation, like you mentioned, when we had Daryl Hawkins on, that was one thing I was so sure to ask him. All of these uniforms, it's it. That's what's so crazy. That's a part of the base template. A part wow. of the base template of this look is to have the ducks be the ventilation on the numbers. Terrific work by him. As he said, he, he took full credit for that decision. He deserves the credit. Fantastic look. Really one of my favorite Oregon disruption moments in a long, long time. It looked so fantastic, and Oregon played so fantastic in them. Yeah, definitely. Well, speaking of disruption moments, it wasn't all great for, uh, especially on the defensive end. They did allow a lot of yards, and, uh, you know, significantly we did outrush them. But, you know, UCLA is is a really, really good offense. But we had some standouts on defense that guys are really stepping up that we haven't seen this year. Steve Stevens leaving, leading the team in tackles with uh four solo and what was it three assisted 
And, uh, man, just going out there and seeing it wasn't at all, I think, the defense we expected here, especially statistically going in. But getting to see, you know, our playmakers making plays, young guys step up and, and holding an offense in check, especially to just 16 points in the first three quarters was really, really damn impressive, regardless of what the final stats are or what uh, DTR seems to think uh, at the end of the game with their execution. <laughs> Well, you know, I think that both teams did exactly what we expected them to do and be able to move the ball a lot. I think the weather ended up being nice enough. That they were able to put it through the air a significant amount. Total passing yards, Oregon 283, UCLA 262. Rushing yards, Oregon 262. Rushing for UCLA 186. What I like to see there, though, is that this Oregon defense, they were a bend but don't break. UCLA has that 30 score. That's three touchdowns. Three field goals, one of those touchdowns, again, being a garbage time score. Oregon, they were able to turn almost every single drive into a touchdown. There were only two that weren't. The field goal by Camden Lewis early. The late, late punt that, I mean, was pretty meaningless by the time that Oregon had to do it. The Ducks, they were able to move the ball against what was touted as the best rushing defense in the Pac-12. Statistically, they were to that point. But the Ducks really didn't hesitate. The offensive line was so, so good. Big Sala, as we know, he got out in space, absolutely moved people. Locke was doing the same thing. Jackson Powers Johnson had a terrific day run blocking. Yeah. And even the tight ends, Ferguson, Matavau, Herbert, Cam McCormick, who, shout out Cam McCormick, another touchdown catch, number three on the season, yeah. the second leading tight end. In awesome play. Awesome, awesome play. Everyone was so engaged in the blocking. Everyone was so engaged in every play in general. The Ducks really, really looked fantastic. And may I just say, Nick, I love that both of Oregon's tight end touchdowns came out of double verticals, putting the same exact position in, in the position of having to make the decision. Am I going to go with the receiver? Am I going to go with the tight end? Either way, they were getting beat. Exactly. And the way that, yeah, especially uh, a lot of the the schemes Coach Dillingham had going, uh, had everybody fired up, uh, especially himself. He seen a couple of those videos from the booth there that they caught him at great moments, man. Love to see that energy out of Oregon's offense coordinator and that production on the field shows you exactly uh, what, what that can translate to and everybody's attention to detail, including one of my favorite plays was uh, Patrick Herbert in pass protection. So Bass can just sit there and, hey, I, I might just take this play off. I'll be ready. But Herbert's out there just acting like it's a run block uh, right there at the line of scrimmage and pass, bro. Love to see that. Everybody's bought in. They're sold in this scheme. And, God, you got to take all this energy, capture it now, and go on the road for two games and bring it with you in your lunch pail. Oregon's going to need to bring it. And I think so, that they're going to have a couple of guys that will be able to do so, especially against Cal and Colorado. One guy, we've mentioned him a little bit, but we haven't mentioned how great a day he had statistically, Bucky Irving. Oh, yeah. Irving had a really, really strong game. 19 carries, 107 yards. He also had three catches for 57 yards and that touchdown in the fourth quarter, the one that pretty much sealed the game if it wasn't already. I believe that was on a fourth down as well. Just getting it out of the backfield to him, him having the speed to burn everybody down that sideline. A really, really strong game for Bucky Irving, who, despite how crowded that running back room is, and despite the fact that 
every single running back that played in that game had a good game for Oregon. Whittington had a great game. Dollars had a great game. Jordan James had the rushing touchdown. Bucky Irving has seemingly begun to separate himself from the rest of the group, being the true RB1 of that group. Number zero in the backfield, so elusive, so hard to bring down. Very rarely the first guy that does it. He had another great game. He is somebody that if he can bring that down to Cal, take it out to Colorado, Oregon will be in very good hands. Definitely, and you love to see that everybody's really playing their roles. With Noah being that changeup back and getting 12 carries, I mean, 6.1 yards a carry is lethal if that's your, your backup running back. And then getting down there in the red zone and knowing you can rely on Jordan James to punch it in or potentially one of our tight ends or our quarterback. I mean, if you're sitting there as a defensive coordinator going into Oregon week, you have so much you have to prepare for, uh, especially in the red zone and, uh, you know, especially up there on the goal line right now. Oregon's got a lot of options. And what's been awesome is they've been able to mostly dictate what they're going to do to you in those situations and go out there and execute it. Well, in just going back through looking at the running back stats as a total, such impressive work from all of these guys. As I said, Irving, 19 rushes, 107 yards. Whittington, 12 rushes, 73 yards. Bo Nix, 8 rushes, 51 yards. Sean Dollars, only 2 rushes, but 27 yards on those 2 rushes. He really is just a different kind of change of pace guy. Love seeing him back in the fold this season. And then power back Jordan James, only 7 rushing yards on his 3 attempts, but we know exactly where those are coming. Those are fourth downs and goal line opportunities. And he was taking full advantage of them. I think the thing that stuck out to me the most, though, Nick, is that beyond dollars with an 18-yard long, nobody else was over 14. That means that such consistent running from these guys. Bucky Irving had 107 yards, and his longest run was 13. That being said, how many nine-yard rushes did he have? How many 11-yard rushes did he have? This was a guy that was consistently putting Oregon in second and short. If this team can continue to be in second and short situations throughout the season, the sky's really the limit. Yeah, and then also want to point out, uh, and, and you know, props to Bucky Irving also getting uh, one kick return out there for 17 yards. But uh, Seven McGee in the return game has been, a, you know, a reliable guy back there. And that's sometimes been something that uh, in the past has been a little bit shaky. But seeing him uh, get, you know, a couple, I think he averaged 20 yards at least um, from the stats it shows here. But, you know, that's one of those positions that, you know, if you don't get breakout plays, you don't talk about them often enough. But when they aren't fumbling and when they aren't making bad decisions on, on returns, you know, you you, you got to be really, really happy about that, especially against Chip, because he's always trying to scheme up where you're, he's going to put you in the worst position on the field in terms of uh, the kicking game when where you get those extra yards. Well, and one another player that offensively had a underratedly good game for Oregon, Chris Hudson. Chris Hudson came out in this ball game. He had three catches for 14 yards, but as he has almost throughout the entire season, he had a huge play, not huge, but a big play to start the game, just swinging it out to him, being able to pick up, I think, about nine yards on that play. Also, Franklin's second touchdown. Mm -hmm. I loved this play, right? For so many reasons. And I'm just going to nerd out and get into it for a moment, right? Oregon gets the ball and they drive 
and almost kill the second half completely. They work it down the field slowly but surely. Knicks on a run gets out about the three, two yard line with about seven seconds left. I'm standing complete stranger, lovely individual next to Hudson stadium, right next to me. In this moment, we'd been chatting back and forth a little bit. He says, Oh, seven seconds, one chance, got to do something. And I tell him, Ah, you know, seven seconds, that's, that's, that's some time. All you got to do is get Nick's outside of the pocket a little bit, give him a couple of different options to that right side. If he's got it, great. If not, throw it out the back of the end zone, you kick the field goal. And what happens? Mm-hmm. Nick's takes the snap, rolls out to the right. I've got the recording of it where you can hear him standing next to me going, You called it. You called it. Nick's fires a pass caught by Troy Franklin for a touchdown. And if you look at that play, while Coda goes up and out, clearing the way, Hudson comes across and just sits there. Sits there like he's waiting for a pass. But what he's doing is sitting perfectly in the path of the defender who's all over Troy Franklin. The defender has to move just around Hudson just enough. Beautiful open play for a touchdown. Everything came together on that drive. Everything came together on that one individual play. So perfectly executed by the players. So perfectly run by the coaching staff. By the time Oregon's able to kick the extra point up and through, there's just one or two seconds left on the clock. UCLA is forced to take a knee. And in a game where you know you are kicking off to start the second half, that touchdown at the end of the half is so vital, so important. Something Oregon has been struggling with, scoring at the end of the first half over the last few seasons. They've been incredibly efficient at it this season. This might have been the very best example. Yeah, and having that dialed up as your red zone play and putting that faith in your quarterback, man, that's that's exactly what you – man, you you tip your hat to all those offensive coordinators that run those situations so many times in practice that those players can go out there and execute. And definitely some we've been lacking in previous years, especially to end quarters or halves or especially end-of-game scenarios. But, man, it's, it's, it's great to see a lot of these guys really, really thriving – I'm excited for uh, what we're going to do in these next couple of weeks here, but man, it's been, it's been an entirely different season than I think that most of us expected. And I welcome that. I think uh, a lot of us were going into this thinking, okay, maybe there might be by the midpoint of the season, a switch at quarterback, maybe a couple different positions we lean on or change. And no, right now, uh, man, Bo Nix has been the man will continue to be the man as long as this offensive line can continue to keep him clean and our receivers can continue to, and tight ends especially, can continue to keep getting open and being devastating in the passing game. Well, I think this season is turning out pretty different than a lot of people expected. And granted, you're 6-1 and through eight weeks and a bye. There's still plenty of time for just about anything to happen. Obviously, you got to stay focused, got to stay on the ball. This is the team that's worked themselves back up to number eight in the country. You are on the radar. You got to keep doing your job. Got to keep doing the things that we know you can do, but you're in a decent position. Nick, walking away from Austin Stadium, I had a thought, we can call it a realization maybe, but it was of a comparison, right? Walking away from the building that day, I went, wow, at least so far, this season feels very 2011-ish. Extremely 2011-ish. You go play in a tough environment against a very high-powered team in week one. 
and you kind of get your ass kicked a little bit. But what happens? You regroup, you start playing better and better every week, and all of a sudden, the train is rolling down the tracks. Now, obviously, if you're going to have a 2011-ish season, you should keep focused and make sure that a late senior night matchup against a very highly talented Pac-12 South team doesn't nip you in the butt a little bit. But I will say this. Oregon's got the kickers this time. If nothing else, Oregon's got the kickers this time. Well, we aren't going to talk about that 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 school down south. They won't be uh, coming back to Austin anytime soon. But uh, yeah, man, I'm uh, I'm hoping we get to see them possibly later down the line. You know, I still uh, still remember that being the one loss I have as a starter. But yeah, that season was special. We come out against LSU, and a lot of people had uh, dismissed us like a lot of people dismissed the Ducks after week one. And we all knew everybody just put their work in and turned it around from there. And, you know, one of the guys who got to be a part of that and we get to talk to right now is, uh, you know, a guy who came in with Marcus Mariota and got to watch that season as a redshirt. And that's wide receiver B.J. Kelly. With us now, a guy I got to play with for a couple of years, Oregon wide receiver, B.J. Kelly. B.J., thank you for joining us. First and foremost, I got to say, I promised you when I saw you at the Rose Bowl and you were the only other guy with near as much bling as I did and that much hardware uh, out there flexing. What's it like for you to see the Ducks uh, in that moment to go to an, and win another Rose Bowl after your career and, uh, and then to see them beat UCLA this week with college game day? What's that feel like for you as a former Duck? It's the best feeling to see uh, my former team just excelling like they have. Um, it's nothing like it. Uh, I remember playing and um, just being there, watching and enjoying the atmosphere. There's nothing quite like it. And uh, last week beating UCLA, that was just a beautiful game, you know, with our uniforms looking like they did, you know, beating Chip. Uh, I know it was a little rough for some people, but, you know, it felt good. <laughs> BJ, thanks so much for joining us. It was a pleasure to meet you before that Rose Bowl game back in uh, 2020. thing I got to ask you, man, is a guy from California, grew up uh, just outside of the Bay Area down there a little bit. Um, what was the decision-making to come to Oregon? What made you want to become a Duck, spend your time in Eugene? Oh, man, that's crazy. Um, you know, I kind of had like a small beginning. I was born in Arkansas, and um, – you know, when I moved to California, I, I kind of wanted to have a chance to play football. And so I ended up moving to Fresno. And um, I don't know why. I was, like, in summer school. For some reason, I was just, like, doodling in class. I was just drawing, like, Nike signs. It's Nike signs for, for no reason. And then um, I ended up having the opportunity to get a scholarship to Oregon. And when I saw that, that scholarship come in, and when I talked to Chip Kelly personally when he came down to visit me, it was just, like, kind of sealed the deal. You know, playing for the Oregon Ducks is – it's a big dream for a lot of people, you know, and I feel like that was a great opportunity for me. So it was really cool to get the opportunity. Another great opportunity you had is being a part of another great and historic program at the University of Oregon, and that's the track program. What was that experience like for you, and how, how did that help to uh, add to your speed on the football field? Man, you know, I'm just really appreciative of, of everything I've been through. Um, running track, uh, I always looked at that as something that could improve my speed. And, um, you know, being a receiver – uh, I didn't just want to be able to, like, just be running routes really good. I wanted to be really fast, you know. And um, Hayward Field and, you know, the whole track program at Oregon is very historic. And uh, I met a, a whole bunch of great athletes. You know, they really changed my life. A whole bunch of great coaches. I got to travel 
pretty much across the United States and compete with some of the best of the best. Um, you know, it was just amazing. Every Everything about Oregon to me was just amazing. <laughs> well, BJ, when you first get on campus, that first week or so that you're there, what was the number one impression you had from not only just the football program, but the university and community of Eugene as a whole? It was almost overwhelmingly beautiful and exciting. You know, um, it's my first time just stepping on campus. You know, I was with DeAnthony Thomas, um, Rashawn Vaughn. You know, I remember Josh Huff. I ran into him on campus and, you know, just um, walking around trying to get affiliated with, with all the buildings and stuff and just seeing, like, just how well put together the whole campus was and, you know, walking around and just seeing all the duck atmosphere everywhere, you know, there's no quite feeling to explain it. You know, it's great vibes. You know, you meet a whole bunch of people that are just smiling, having the time of their lives. And, you know, it's, it's great. You know, I made a lot of friends on campus, so it was pretty cool. So uh, I, I still remember the very first season you came into the program and, and you came in with a really special class of players who would go on to, you know, who I eventually think will, probably get another plaque like this in the hall of fame pretty soon but fingers crossed for you guys here in the coming years but what was that like and and who are a bunch of the guys in, in your freshman class that stand out to you as guys that you knew right away were going to be impactful on the football field for the ducks um you know i remember coming in um there was a whole bunch of hype about marcus i came in same year as marcus and um never quite saw a quarterback like marcus um I came in with the Anthony Thomas, um, Devon Blackman, Koi Sumler, um, Cole Iurla, like <laughs> just a whole bunch of great players, man. And um, yeah, I I think I, I think I'd say it was probably between Marcus and the Anthony being like the most well known and people the most excited to see them. And um, it was just really fun. It was really cool. Well, BJ, guys like yourself and Marcus took a slightly different road than guys like Colt and D'Anthony and that you spent that first year redshirting for the program. Talk about that learning curve as a freshman, just learning, taking that red shirt and just being able to sit there and watch a really, really talented team out on the field. To be honest, I really appreciated the opportunity to redshirt because, you know, walking in there, I don't I don't know if I would have been able to handle, you know, that pressure and just be able to pick up everything like everybody else did. You know, it takes a certain type of mind to be able to handle that. And um, not only that, you have to have your body ready and stuff. And so um, redshirting for me was great. It's something I really needed. Um, had gave me more time to work on my body, you know, learn the offense. Um you know, watch the players in front of me, learn how everything really works and stuff. And um, yeah, redshirting for me was was really good. Um, it was fun. I get to watch LaMichael, got to watch Kenyon, got to watch Darren Thomas, um, just do their thing and stuff. And, you know, I was just really excited to have my, my own opportunity to play. Yeah, and when you got that opportunity, it was for a Fiesta Bowl season where we had a ton of veteran leadership on that team and a lot of guys competing for spots. What was it like and what do you remember from that that redshirt freshman year of competing with a bunch of those guys we had? And, uh, you know, what, what what highlights from that season do you still remember? Man, I just remember the competition was just really intense. Um, we really looked up to you guys, you know, the older, the older veterans and stuff that have been there. And, um, man, every game to me was like a memory. But, yeah, winning the Fiesta Bowl was just something – yeah, no one's really experienced, you know, when you're at Oregon, you know, it's just different. Um, just the atmosphere, you know, the gifts and stuff, you know, the practices, the location, 
you know, there's so much to be said. And even the way we looked, our uniforms, you know, we had the best of the best gear. It's just a, it's a lot to take in. But, you know, if you take the time to appreciate what you have, man, you'll just feel all the love that Oregon has to offer. BJ, one game specifically that season that sticks out to me when, when thinking about your career, the fact that you were able to catch a touchdown at California, back down in the Bay Area, around where you grew up. Oregon's traveling to Cal this weekend. They've got a game against the Golden Bears. Tell us a little bit about what you remember from that first matchup, your redshirt freshman year, and about that touchdown you were able to grab. Man, that was that was pretty meaningful to me. You know, um, coming back down to Cali, you know, I had a had the opportunity to have some of my friends and family there at that game, and um, I was just excited to maybe get the chance to get in the game. And when I did, you know, I just wanted to do what I could, whether it be blocking or like making a catch. You know, the touchdown was obviously better than I could ever expect or hope, but um. I just remember going down there, trying not to be too nervous. You know, I had some friends out in the crowd, and um, I got the opportunity to catch a touchdown because of a tipped ball. And uh, I just remember being super focused on on the ball the whole time, you know. And um, it happened to go through one of my teammates' uh, teammates' hands, and um, I was just ready, and I just kind of grabbed it and held on. <laughs> Man, love that. What was it like for uh, not just you, but what you're feeling for the team in general, from going from that Fiesta Bowl and then uh, transitioning to uh, Mark Helfrich taking over as head coach, uh, uh, you, you know, your your position coach uh, bumping up to offensive coordinator. What was that transition like for you and the team? Um, For me, it was pretty difficult <laughs> um, because I didn't actually get as much playing time as I wanted after that transition, you know, but for the team, you know, it was, it seemed to be way more smoother. You know, I just wanted the whole success for the team. You know, it's not really about yourself. So, you know, I just kept working hard, um, trying to prove myself in practice. You know, uh, I was one of the top guys on scout the whole time, you know, scout team, just giving the defense, defense the best look that I could every every time I got a chance. So, um, but yeah, we still still had all the talent, you know, still had coaches that cared about us. And um, it was it was good for the team. It was all right. I wouldn't say good, but it was all right. <laughs> Well, BJ, as a receiver of the University of Oregon, you were around so many talented guys throughout your career. You had guys in that room like Josh Huff, spent plenty of times playing in the pros. You got Devin Allen currently on the roster with the Philadelphia Eagles. You got even a guy like DeAnthony Thomas who was in and out of that room, I was spending time with the running back room. What do you remember from that group of receivers going into those meetings every week and just being a part of that group as a whole? Um. The receiver core, I remember, man, we were a really tight-knit group. Like, we were really cool. Like, you know, I can't say anybody was really selfish. You know, we were all just really tapped into to winning and being the best. You know, we would all help each other. Um, Keenan Lowe was, you know, a receiver I was there with, too. I looked up a lot to him. You know, he was a great guy, um, great player as well. Um, Daryl Hawkins was there, too. You know, uh, Dustin Hoffman. Um so, yeah, there is a lot of veterans, you know, um, Josh Huff, Rashawn Vaughn, a lot of people out there just balling every chance they got. So, you know, every time we were in the in the um, playroom researching the film, watching the film, we were pretty much locked in. But it was always love, though. We, we learned a lot from each other. 
So I I know this might be a difficult subject to talk about, but you feel free if you if you want to just pass on it. But I know you you foregone your senior season. Do you wish with especially the way the transfer portal is, is available now and with NIL that that would be available like back when we played, or uh, are, are you at peace with it, or just you know explain what went into that thought process? We we know obviously as playtime diminished and with the staff, uh, you know it's probably pretty good you know like uh you know that you were able to go and do your own thing because uh you know scout team is tough it's a lot of tough years on your body but uh just what went in that process for you and uh how do you feel about it today i do wish the transfer process was like it is right now you know um that would have been really nice but um for me it was pretty hard you know i, I took it kind of personally because i did come to oregon with a dream you know i wanted to go to a national championship and help them win so when we did go to the national championship and I didn't have the opportunity to get in the game at all, it really hurt. And I was a redshirt junior at the time, but, you know, I really, once Helfridge came in, um, I really didn't have any more playing time, even as a sophomore, really. I had, I think I had one catch my sophomore year after Helfridge came in. And then my junior year, I didn't have barely any playing time. So for me, you know, I, I got kind of sad, to be honest, you know, working my butt off on the scout team, um, you know, giving my all. But I don't regret it, you know, and I don't really have regrets. Um, I, I, I left it all on the field, so I could say that. And, um, you know, my team was successful and everybody's having a good time. So it's not – I didn't try to be selfish, you know. Um, I mean, obviously, I do wish I had a little bit more playing time to showcase my skills. You know, I might be somewhere else, but, you know, wouldn't change anything that happened because I'm, I'm happy where I'm at and Oregon's still great right now. So it's all right. Well, and I can tell you, we both love and appreciate that attitude for sure. Love to see that uh, there are no regrets because that's never something you want to hear from somebody. So glad that you are in the position you've been able to put yourself in, man. Moving Thanks. ahead to this current Oregon football team, you talked about that game last week. You were able to at least hear about it, if not see some of it for sure, just based off our conversation here. What have you really noticed from uh, this Oregon team and how have you kind of seen it as a little bit different than some of the teams you were able to be a part of? Oh, man, this Oregon team, I don't really know how to explain it, but I, I love the heart that they've been displaying, you know. Um, it's kind of hard to to compare to how we were because, you know, we were really, like, I feel like the best years of Oregon at that time. But, um, you know, to have this this coach come in and, you know, come in with a new quarterback and, you know, um, last week they they did their thing. I was really proud of them, you know. They looked really good and sound. Um, I would just say, uh, I think, like, our play calling, you know, is not too much different. You know, the speed is just maybe a little bit slower, you know, but not really different. Like, you know, still displaying the heart and still getting it done. So that's all that really matters to me. But last week was was beautiful. I'm glad Chip got that that loss to us. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I enjoyed get, getting to experience that. But speaking of in and experiences, I know we got to see you at the Rose Bowl, but When's the last time you got to get down to Austin and when's the next time Oregon fans can expect to see you there? Man, to be honest, I have not been back to Austin since I left, but I really look forward to coming out there soon, to be honest. Um, I'm looking on getting married and you know, I have a, a six month old son. So I'd love to bring him out there in an atmosphere and just show him where I used to be and stuff, you know, give him a lot of a lot of that duck love. <laughs> Well, congratulations, and we'll have to hook you up with uh, with staff to, to make sure that happens whenever you're able to, man. Oh, thank you so much. We appreciate that. It'll be fun.
BJ, one of the last ones I got for you, because we don't want to take up too much of your time at all. Um, Nick has been stealing this question from me the last couple of weeks, so I got to make sure I jump on it this week because it is one of my favorites. You mentioned spending that time in school, drawing those Nike logos and everything. You played during what a lot of people would consider the golden age of not just Oregon football, but Oregon football uniforms. Was there a specific game or a specific look that you particularly liked or look back on and really appreciate having worn? Man, I'm going to be honest. Every uniform to me was so sick, man. Like, just the amount of detail for every game was was just so cool. And, um, like, during the warm-ups or, like, the pre-games, they would, like, have, like, my character, like, with the number 23 displayed so everybody know what, like, we, we look like during that game. And I always thought that was really cool. But um, I would say, personally, my favorite game happened to be against Fresno State, which is where I came from. I came from Fresno. And um, I think the uniforms were super sick. We were wearing the the yellow tops with like the black wings, but we had the chrome and um, like silver he helmets and like the silver and the yellow and back to silver pants, man, I thought it looked so cool. And it was like looking in the crowd, you could just see a whole bunch of yellow. So it was like a great vibe. And um, I think that game looked really beautiful. The sun was shining and everything. So I think I took that a little bit personally, you know, it was a great feeling to be out there. <laughs> well, man, I'm going to end on this question. Speaking of looking super cool, you had a, a, a tradition that even made a, a couple uh, headlines. Uh, what inspired you to jump up into uh, the student section in pregames? And uh, how awesome was that? Because I remember, I still remember thinking, man, if I could, I would. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I just wanted to to give people the opportunity to, like, you know, be right there with the Oregon football player, you know. And I thought it was a good way to use a little bit of my energy I had, you know, to just jump up there, you know, be up there in a couple of seconds, hang out with them, you know. And um, it was just a love, you know, a whole bunch of love from the crowd and from me. You know, it was a really nice opportunity, and I'm glad I did it. You know, it was great, great times. <laughs> well, BJ, thank you for joining us, and uh, more great times ahead. We hope we can have you in Austin Stadium soon. And once a duck, always a duck, buddy. Go, Go Ducks. Duck. Hey, thank you guys for having me. Awesome interview with BJ Kelly. And if you guys want to let us know who you want in future interviews, let us know down in the comments on YouTube, especially. We got one this week from Kingston Green who wants to see us interview Juwan Johnson. I think he might be pretty busy right now. Seems to be doing pretty well. But, hey, we love the recommendations. Go right now. If you aren't already subscribed on YouTube, let us know in the comments on this video who you want to see in future episodes. Well, man, you know what? I think – um. I think Juwan's obviously worth, worth reaching out to, but I feel like a USC week especially would be perfect for that guy. That is a good call and something we'll definitely have to look into. But also out there, if you're not already following us on Twitter, we'd like to provide you guys with uh, you know, a big question when we go and record. And this week, our question is, Ducks fans, heading into the first of two straight games away from home, what does this Oregon team need to do to maintain that odds and energy in Berkeley? Let us know below and we'll read your posts on this week's podcast. And thank you guys that did reply and share. I'm going to start off with at uh, 78 DBD, uh, DB dub uh, B Williford, jump out to a lead, step on their throat and put this one away early, man, especially for a 1230 AM game. I would love or, or 1230 PM game. To, I was going to say that's pretty early. Ooh. I would love for that to uh, to happen. I know game day's got my uh, my internal game clock completely messed up now, but uh, that's Pac-12 yeah. way after dark. 
it, it, it's definitely going to feel like a morning for me still, but I, I would love for us to get it out early, uh, be able to have us all celebrating, especially for uh, you and Mike, who will be down at the game. I hope you guys are, are able to just spend most of the third and fourth quarter just celebrating with the rest of the Ducks fans and not too many bears there. <laughs> well, you know, I have a feeling that that might be a theme here, that not too many bears there. Um, I, I don't know if you know this, but I feel like Cal Berkeley doesn't necessarily – have the greatest tradition of selling out California Memorial Stadium. Hey, maybe this will be the chance, but the fact that I just saw tickets on ESPN being advertised for about 30 bucks, I'm guessing not so much. <laughs> Tweet I'm going to read here, it actually has to do with fans being in attendance. Jason Eliason, at Eliason Jason, fans that can be there, be there. Players on the sideline can generate plenty of energy on their own as well. And I agree, energy is going to be key especially for a 12:30 start time. Oregon will be rolling into California, getting ready for what's sure to be an interesting ball game, rocking the green, yellow, the green, white, green combination. I think it'll be a fun one. And I definitely look forward to being loud, being proud and being in attendance there. Definitely agree with that. And you know, there's always something about that one Bay area trip every year that things just never are feel certain and, uh, you know, especially going against a Justin Wilcox-led team, who you know probably has something up his sleeve for Oregon that's special. But uh, let's go. We've only got two more replies here. So uh, uh, let's go. At PR Dolphin underscore PR uh, said, have to have fans show up uh, as then more uh, more than Cal fans show up. And that's something that you we've already hit on is like, yeah, the Ducks fans that are in attendance, if you are in the Bay Area, I hope you guys go up, buy those tickets, right now as soon as you're watching this podcast and make sure you go and say hi to sam there yes please definitely come by <laughs> section d i will be there i will be loud i will be rocking a whole lot of green as it is a wear green game for the fans i will definitely probably this hat specifically but i will be wearing quite a lot of green that day uh last one i'm gonna get to we appreciate all the responses as always every week but so much to talk about in the second segment last one we got time for here from Max at Noah one one five nine three five, I'm always scared that I can get through the numbers right, but I think I feel like I did nailed it that time. <laughs> Run the ball, keep Bo within the system, and they win easily. And I really can't argue with that. I definitely penned these next two ball games as a run the ball, play defense, you'll be okay kind of ball games. If Oregon can do that again, keep Bo within the system, keep him doing what he does so well. The Ducks should be all right. There's always that should, though, uh, and a game that I know you and I have talked about on this podcast and together ourselves before. We've seen an Oregon team that looked pretty strong going down to Berkeley in 2008. I was thankfully at home redshirting. Uh, didn't have to be out there in the rain and torrential downpour out there in uh, Berkeley Memorial Stadium. And, uh, man, even though it had uh, one of the defensive highlight plays of that season, it was not a game that was too offensive friendly. It really wasn't. I think that was in that 2008 season, one of the first games that Jeremiah Masoli really had full control of the reins all on his own in that ball game. The Oregon offense sputtered a bit, did what they could, only ended up with 16 points in that game. Cal beat them 26-6. to But you mentioned the defensive highlight, TJ Ward, along with an assist from Patrick Chung and Jarris Burden, I think Walter Thurman, and maybe the entirety of the Oregon secondary all at once absolutely demolishing the offensive player for Cal. 
that one is one that makes the highlight tape regardless of if you win or lose that game. But Nick, between 2008 and 2016, the Oregon Ducks traveled to California three different times, won those three games. You had, of course, of course, the game that we're probably going to break down next, 2010, one of the most classic Oregon defensive showdowns of all time, including that nine-plus-minute drive we mentioned earlier in this podcast. That was followed up by a big win in 2012, a big win in 2014, not actually played in Berkeley. That one played in Levi Stadium. Oregon, side note, in 2014, scored more points in Levi Stadium in two games than the San Francisco 49ers scored in that stadium all season long. <laughs> I really can't believe that either. But Nick, 2010, we've talked about it on this podcast before, but if it's not one of the best games, the most memorable games, let's put it that way in Oregon history. I don't know what it is, so let's get into it. Oh, man. I, I In general, I, I and there was something about Cal games in, in the Chip Kelly tenure that, that had a lot of meaning to them over the history. I think uh, the one that stands out first and foremost was the 2009 game with those throwback uniforms. We're on the first play. We lose Walter Thurman for the season on the kick return. Give up uh, three points to Cal right there. And that that's where the game ended for Cal. That was the only points they scored on the day. Uh, Oregon came back to throttle them with uh, 40 plus points. And it felt like that from there, there was a rivalry kind of built and going down there, 2010 uh, perfect season on the line and absolutely struggling to get anything on offense and having to come out with big special teams plays from Cliff Harris and a big block from Scott Grady there at the end to get a punt return for a touchdown Without that, Oregon isn't getting the national championship game that season. But there's also one more. The first game I still remember going, this Herbert fella is going to be special, was against Cal, too. So there's just something there that makes these games always kind of special, I think. Well, you know, Nick, that game, unfortunately, it was a loss. It was an overtime loss for the Ducks, 52-49 to in that one. But you're right. That was a Justin Herbert, I believe, four or five touchdown game. A ton of yards in that one. Absolutely slinging the ball all over the place. And Nick, 2016 and 2020, both trips down to Cal for the Ducks that resulted in losses. Now, that 2020 game, obviously everything from that season, you just want to look at and get, it was just kind of a bit of confusion almost. It was almost just such a, such a strange year when we had both Nick Pickett and Jordan Scott on this podcast throughout this season. They've talked about how odd and uncomfortable that 2020 season was. The Ducks in that game, I believe they led 17-7 to at halftime, ended up losing it 21-17. to Just one of the strangest, weirdest games you've seen out of the Ducks. I have a very hard time thinking Oregon's going to rock gray uniforms head-to-toe like they did in that one for a while after that ball game. But... A fun one in between was 2018. The Ducks were able to get a 42-24 to victory. That was another big performance from Justin Herbert, a big, big performance from C.J. Verdell, a big performance from the Oregon defense as well. These Oregon-Cal games are always so interesting, such toss-ups, but two games that I kind of want to get into between these two teams, 2012 and then that 2014 game that we mentioned, but 2012 first, rocking what I'm willing to call one of the more underrated Oregon uniform combinations of a green helmet, white jersey, and black pants. Going down to Berkeley 
as BJ said during the interview, he caught a touchdown pass in that game, one that bounced right off the hands of Will Murphy, actually, who caught his first touchdown just a couple of drives earlier in that ball game. From that 2012 game, it was a game that many people saw as a trap game because it came directly the week after Oregon defeated USC in heroic fashion in Los Angeles. The next week, a rain game, a game that unfortunately saw the loss of Avery Patterson for the season. A strange game, but still one that Oregon was able to come away with a 59-17 victory. Yeah, definitely. And, and overall, just being able to execute offensively uh, in that game against, you know, Cal, which at the time and again has uh, kind of come back to that as a program, is a team that, you know, has really sufficiently stopped the run usually against most of their opponents in the Pac-12. And that's some they've kind of prided themselves on. And always as a team going in that week, you're always kind of like trying to ramp things up from your scout team to try and have them play more physical because that's just the brand uh, – that Cal football has prided itself on for so many years. I think like Stanford's gotten a lot of credit for doing that in terms of the offensive line in that front, but on the defensive side of the football up front, that's always been Cal. I feel like in this program, and that's why it's so dangerous. Anytime you have to go down there, or even when they're coming up into Austin stadium, you have to be prepared and you only get big wins like that when you are prepared in, in terms of not just execution, but that physicality. Nick moving on 2014, this was another interesting game. As we said, in Levi Stadium, the Ducks put up 59 points in this game as well. But it was a much closer game, 59 to 41. The difference in this ball game, the second quarter, was huge for the Ducks. After the first quarter, it was a tie ball game, 14 to 14. But that second half, it opens with an Aiden Schneider field goal. Pharaoh Brown catches a touchdown. And then a play that's always a highlight to me, one of the slowest punt returns you will ever see. And it's not because he's slow. It just worked out that way. The blocking worked out that way. He was surrounded by blockers, so it was never a concern. Charles Nelson, a guy who's made so many big plays, offense, defense, and special teams during his time as a duck, returned that punt. There was also a Dwayne Stanford touchdown just at the end of the half with about 40-ish seconds left to play. If it wasn't for that huge quarter, and also maybe the camo tights everybody was wearing beneath their gray pants in that ball game it wouldn't have worked out the way it did but in fact it did oregon 59 41 a huge victory in levi stadium it was an absolute showing for one marcus mariota 326 yards five touchdowns in that one also we saw touchdowns from Dwayne stanford had a pair Farrell brown had a pair byron marshall had one as well and devin allen Big game as well, 47 yards receiving. So many guys who contributed in that ball game. So much fun seen by the Ducks in Levi Stadium. They have a pretty good history of playing some decent ball games there. Hey man, it's that's when I still remember. Like, okay, uh, kind of shook that feeling from uh, the the 2010 road game, and uh, we're able to really feel confident down there and play like we owned it because uh, that wasn't a feeling that was very familiar. Up until that point, you really had to build the program up. And as we've seen, uh, Cal had a couple deficiencies, especially in funding in their athletic department that has basically put them where they're at now. Well, Nick, we've talked so much about the historic matchups. We, we could always mention more if we wanted to. The 17-7 to game in 2019, the 24-17 to game last year that probably shouldn't have been as close as it was. But it was also the game where Anthony Brown silenced the boos. A heck of an interesting series between these two teams. And an interesting note here, 
These two teams, if Oregon wins this weekend, they will be tied in the all-time series. Yes, that's right. Currently, Cal leads. Cal and Oregon have been playing for quite a long time, both original Pacific Coast Conference members. They originally started the conference Cal, Stanford, Oregon, and Oregon State. 41 wins for the Ducks, 42 wins for Cal, a pair of ties as well, because remember, overtime wasn't a thing in college football until the late 90s. <laughs> the Ducks, with a win on Saturday, could officially tie that series up all time, 42 wins apiece. Hey, and you know how important that is. I mean, there's no guarantees moving forward in years to come with the potential conference realignment. So, something to keep in mind. It's a good time to seize that potentially, but... Talking about this year's teams, man, it's something that there's a little bit extra on the line, I think, in this game, as uh, we have all heard with the hiring process that Justin Wilcox was right down with Dan Lanning in the end, and as has been rumored, uh, possibly offered and turned down the job. But, hey, all I know is that there's even a couple former once-a-duck guests who were very, very interested in having Coach Wilcox, even sent a letter to Rob Mullins that got a lot of fans I guess uh, split into different factions for a time there now, but what an interesting time to look back at that. And I imagine just for that reason alone, Coach Wilcox probably has been watching this game on the schedule for a long, long time. Well, look, Cal as a team is one that generally gets up for Oregon. It's just the truth. They are a team that historically has played some of their best games of the season against the Ducks. They really have. They've played some tough ball games. They played a tough ball game last week as well. They took Washington down to the wire. UW able to get a 28-21 to victory that required a late score to get that one done. Cal has hung tight in almost every ball game they've played this season. They have wins over UC Davis, UNLV, and Arizona. They have losses to Notre Dame by one score. Washington State in a game that was somewhat lopsided. An overtime loss at Colorado that... If it weren't for a couple of strange happenings, they probably would have gotten the win there. And then, as we said, the close loss to Washington. This is a team that will be ready. They will be prepared. They will be looking to put on a show for the folks checking in on this game on FS1. It will be a heck of a matchup between these two teams. And California, they have a young star in the making on offense that Oregon's really going to have to look out for. Yeah, uh, you talk about that, and that's uh, unfortunately uh, kind of been the uh, the centerpiece of their entire offense this year. But um, I, that's uh, the running back I'm sure you're talking about, right? Jaden Ott, Ott freshman yep. running back for California. True freshman, no red shirt here. A true freshman, 205 pounds at six foot for the 18-year-old. You know he's got a good head on his shoulders too because Cal Berkeley doesn't just let anybody in that building. 103 carries on the season on those 103 carries 618 yards and five touchdowns he had one of the most unreal games that you will see especially out of a freshman in their ball game against Arizona he broke just about every single record that there is for a freshman running back in the Pac-12 just an unbelievable ball game that he was able to go out in what ended up being a huge win for Cal, 49-31 to 31 over Arizona. In this game, Jaden Knott, 19 rushes, 274 yards, and three touchdowns. 
averaged 14.4 yards per carry. If they just gave him the ball every time, it'd be a first down every time. A 73-yard long as well. He is fast. He is quick. He is strong. He'll run past you, around you, or through you. He is the number one person that will be wearing blue and gold that the Oregon Ducks need to be concerned about on that Cal offense. Well, and what's most important, I think, about that is it's so complementary to what they're doing on defense. The only team to score over 30 points on them was Arizona in that what was a 40, what, 49, 31 game. So, you know, at that point, you can have a lot of reasons to give up that many points. So uh, if you take that out of their average, this is a defense that is doing very, very well to keep their opponents limited in what they can do and, and keeping them out of the end zone. And that's going to be very, very important for Oregon to especially being on the road and being efficient, not giving up any turnovers, because what you do there with a running game like that, you may not get the ball back until the other team scores. You really might not. And to say that he is the absolute only weapon for Cal is an overstatement. Is he the best? Probably. But Jack Plummer, the quarterback, he has a 1,754 yards in the season, 12 touchdowns, three interceptions. Despite Cal's three and four record, if you've got a guy who's got a four to one touchdown to interception ratio, You'll take that. That is a efficient quarterback who's playing well. His leading receiver, Jeremiah Hunter, 30 receptions, 448 yards, two touchdowns on the season. The Ducks, they're going to have to be looking out on defense. They've been running a whole lot of the, the two linebackers that, that we saw last week, a ton against UCLA spread offense. I'll personally be very curious to see if they prefer to run a little bit less of that nickel look against a team like Cal that is so willing to run the ball straight at you. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it's going to be very interesting because this is a team that it feels like can play with anybody and sometimes to a fault. That's where Colorado has basically gotten their one win on this season over time against Cal. And you're sitting there thinking, you know, especially with the way they dominated Arizona, how is that even possible? But here we are in the Pac-12 where if you don't bring it on the road, who knows what can happen? Well, you know, Nick, I think that for this Oregon offense, it really is just going to be more of a task probably than a lot of people are willing to give Cal credit for again. Look at the points they've given up on the season. 31 to Arizona is by far the most. By far the most. Beyond that, they haven't given up more than 21 in a game. And tell me that doesn't sound like a Justin Wilcox Cal team. Not scoring too much themselves, but really limiting opponents. Only 13 given up to UC Davis, 14 to UNLV. They gave up 24 to Notre Dame. They gave up 28 and 28 against the Washington schools and 20 against Colorado. But when, when you are keeping all of your opponents below that 30 point marker, that's what I meant to say earlier, that 30 point marker, which in the pac 12 is not a given at all. You're putting yourself in a halfway decent position. And it's a position that I'll see be very curious to see. That is what Oregon can do with this season. Yep. Well, this is going to be a true road test and, uh, I hope to see us, uh, you know, hopefully uh, break that 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 scoring um, streak and uh, see us be, be the first school to hopefully put up 40-plus on them because that's a streak I want to see keep going for Oregon more than I'd like to see this Cal streak go. So that leads us into how uh, we usually wrap it up. And, uh, man, it's been tough to think about 
how this is going to play out on the field. Uh, I, I know, you know, especially early day game, if you, if you don't travel um, and haven't traveled in a while, you get a little comfortable. I don't know, man, but I'm excited to see us perform. If Bo Nix is able to go out, perform without any turnovers and, and, and the offensive line is able to keep him clean. I'm confident we are going to score points, but I'm not confident we are going to hold that 40 point minimum. So I'm going to say that Cal will hold us to 38 points, but I have faith that this defense is going to travel, be hyped up and that by the third quarter, you guys might have to start your own shout because I only see Cal coming out of this game with about 17 points. So I'm going 38, 17 duckies. No, Nick, I've just got a couple extra points on both sides, probably late on Cal's end. My final score for this ball game, 42 to 20 Oregon. I can see a couple of bend but don't break drives that result in field goals for Cal. I think Oregon, all season, I've been putting them repeatedly in that 30-point range. They've proven me wrong just about every single week. I'm finally willing to buy the hype this week, 42 points for the Oregon Ducks. They'll get out of California again, a 42 to 20 victory. Well, I love it. I, uh, I hope you have a great time. Uh, I hope one of us this week gets it right, even though we are splitting hairs again here with our predictions. But, hey, as always, great to see you again, buddy. It was great to see you at game day. Hopefully we have another one we get you up here for soon. And I hope uh, you and everybody else that goes down to Cal brings that same energy from game day right down there to uh, to to the Cal Bears Stadium and, uh, you know, scare the shit out of Oski with uh, how loud you are because that, that bear try deserves to, but it. I'll seeing Oski around Halloween weekend might terrify me. Exactly. You got to bring the scare to him or otherwise he's going to psych you out, man. That's the thing. He's He's one of those mascots. You don't think he's scary until you think about it in the back of your mind. So, hey, having the best mascot in uh, in all of college football, uh, as uh, as Pat McAfee uh, reemphasized, uh, hey, we got to all go down there, bring that energy, and enjoy yourselves. Uh, and as always, once a duck, always a duck.